Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Rocky Revelations, we've talked about uh, pain. We've heard a testimony about pain. And then last week, we examined how a knockdown punch become, can become a knockout punch if we're not careful. And I told you that if we're not careful, we can allow hits to separate us from the head. And I told you last week that if we get separated from the head, we stay down. And then I told you also that we've got to guard our ears because if you listen to the wrong voices, it can knock you down and keep you down. And then I also told you that if we don't guard the position of our hands, we will stay down. When we don't learn to praise our way through issues and struggles and pains of life, it will turn a knockdown punch into a knockout punch. And so this, this morning I want us to look at the final Rocky revelation. And let me set this scene for you. Rocky's been fighting. Basically, he, he defeated Apollo Creed and he became the heavyweight champion of the world. And over the course of the next three years, Rocky begins to defend his title. But unbeknownst to him, Mick, his trainer, has set him up against nobodies. He's basically defending himself or defending his title against people that really don't pose any threat. And so Mick is doing that for him and all of a sudden a new fighter comes on the scene and you'll remember from Rocky 3 probably one of the best a guy by the name of Clubber Lane playing Lane played by Mr. T kind of breaks on the scene and he defeats all the local fighters and he begins to rise up through the ranks of the contenders and he defeats them all and finally there's nobody left between him and Rocky and Clubber Lane calls out Rocky calls him out in front of everybody he says he's a he's a bum and that he's ducking him and that he won't fight him and finally rocky hears enough of this and he wants to take on this new contender only one problem mick rocky's trainer refuses to help and so he says to rocky i'm not going to help you get ready for this fight if you want to take on this monster uh then you're going to have to do it on your own i refuse to help you and what happens is, is they have this classic conversation that I just played for you. Here's the scene. Rocky is sitting in the lap of luxury. You know Rocky's meager's, meager beginnings. He was a nobody. He lived in a torn up apartment. He, he didn't have anything. He was a nobody. He had nothing to his, to his own possession. He was poor. And when he becomes the heavyweight champion of the world, everything turns around. And you see the picture of him living in the lap of luxury. Now he's living in what some would call a mansion. If you'll remember the movie, he's driving, I think it's a, a Maserati or something, some fancy sports car. He's wearing fancy Italian suits. His wife is wearing furs and jewelry. And he's sitting in this luxurious house when he has this classic conversation with Mick. Now Mick's kind of Hard to understand, so let me just tell you what Mickey says to Rocky when, when Rocky says, come on, fight, let me, help me train for this fight. This is what he says. He says, well, Rock, let's, well, let's put it this way. Three years ago, you were supernatural. You was hard and nasty. You had this cast iron jaw. But then the worst thing that happened to you that could happen to any fighter, you got civilized. Don't worry, kid. You know presidents retire, general, generals retire, horses retire, man of war retired. They put him out to stud. That's what you should have done, retire. So Mick has this conversation. And if you go on and watch the scene, Rocky is downcast. Rocky is destroyed. Rocky is broken in his spirit. But through a moment, few moments more of conversation, Mick finally 
gives in and decides to help Rocky. And Rocky says, I'll train. I'll go to the gym every day. I'll do everything I have to do. I'll I'll get the edge back. And you know the rest of the story. It's the one time that Rocky doesn't train like he's always trained. You remember the scenes? He goes and he trains in this luxurious hotel. And it's like a circus. There are lights and balloons and clowns and jugglers and live music and uh, vendors selling goods. And Rocky's not really training. He's posing for pictures. And you remember what happens, right? Mickey's words become prophetic. And Rocky is not only knocked down in the second round, he is knocked out in the second round. And he loses his title. He had lost his edge. He had lost his hunger. This morning I want to submit to you that The worst thing that can happen to a Christian is that, like Rocky, we can become too civilized. I want to say to you this morning, I honestly believe this. I know that what I'm getting ready to say can come off as a little harsh, but I just want you to hear me out and hear my heart this morning. I am concerned that as a group of people who believe in Jesus, we have become soft. I don't know what happens. I can't explain it. All I know is that for most of us, when we have served Jesus more than six or seven months and our lives have been changed dramatically and we sell out to the call of God, something happens. I don't know if it happens because we get caught up in the cares of life. I don't know if it happens because we uh, change uh, our our mentality after a period of time. I don't know if it's because of our job. I don't know if it's because of our families. I don't know what causes it. I have just observed that in most cases, during the course of the first, after the first few months of walking in relationship with Christ, most of us as believers become very soft. Our goals change. Our goals change from wanting to change the world to wanting to be comfortable. Our goals change from wanting to impact our community to wanting to play. Our, our goal becomes to play it safe. In fact, what we really want to do is we want to, we've even changed the standard of success as Christians because now we judge success not by how much impact we have in the community individually or corporately. We, we now judge by success by how much money we have and how comfortable we are and whether the air conditioner runs cool enough and whether we have nice chairs to sit in and whether we have nice cars to drive to the church in. I don't understand and why it's true, but the reality is, is that as most of us as believers have become very, very soft and civilized. In fact, most of us would say this, we just want to retire with no worries. Ever thought that? If I could just live on easy street. I was riding down, I'm going to tell myself, I was riding down uh, Wilshire the other day headed home and I don't even remember what brought this thought up. It had nothing to do with my message. I just know I had an encounter with God in my truck because I'm riding by some nice houses. And as I'm riding by, I I hear myself say in my own mind, I just want to be able to retire comfortably. Y'all never thought that. I know y'all don't think that way, but something rolled over in my spirit and I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying to me, you've become soft. You've become too civilized. That's not what I've called you to. That is not the standard of success. That's, that's society's standard of success. But as a believer, as a sold out, born again, committed Christian, that is not the standard of success that we should operate by and go by. That doesn't line up with becoming a sold out, committed follower of Christ. In fact, it was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 10, he said this, they're going to throw you to the wolves and kill you. Everyone hating you because you carry my name. Does that sound like easy street to you? Then he goes on and he says, blessed are ye when, not if, when, 
men shall revile you. When they revile you. When they persecute you. And when they shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. At that moment you become successful. At that moment you become dangerous. But we become so civilized and so soft that we don't want to endure that anymore. Why? How can that be? How does that line up? with the predecessors that have gone before us, may I remind you just that we are called disciples of Christ. If you are following Christ, if you've given Christ your heart, at that moment you come under a new moniker and it's the moniker of disciple. You are now a disciple of Christ. And when I look back over how the disciples were treated when they were walking the earth, how does our desire for easy street and comfort and peace and calm in our life line up with their lives? Because I went back and I looked and tradition tells us that James was put to death with a sword, probably beheaded. And then I discovered that Peter said, the history says that Peter was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross in Rome. And that Matthew was killed by a sword sword wound. And that John was boiled in a huge basin uh, basin of boiling oil. Well, that doesn't sound like easy street to, to me, does it to you? To get boiled in boiling oil? There's nothing fun about that. There's nothing easy about that. There's nothing civilized about that. We know that he came out of that alive miraculously and that he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos and he's the only one, if you want to call it, that died peacefully. I don't know if working in the mines as an old man all by yourself is peaceful or not, but that's how he died. And then we're told that James, the brother of Jesus, was thrown from the southeast pinnacle of the temple over a 100 feet down when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. And when they went down to check him out, they discovered that he wasn't, wasn't dead and so they beat him to death with clubs peaceful huh what about bartholomew also known as nathaniel he was a missionary to asia they beat him to death with a whip that doesn't sound peaceful to me andrew was crucified on an x-shaped cross in greece and after they whipped him severely they seven soldiers took his body and they tied him to the cross with cords so that it would prolong his agony and he continued to preach to his tormentors for two solid days until he finally died Thomas was stabbed with a spear. Matthias, the apostle that was chosen to replace Judas, was stoned and then he was beheaded. And we're afraid to walk across the street and share our faith with our neighbors. We're civilized. We're afraid to pray over our meals because people will look and think that we're crazy. We're afraid to make any impact. We're afraid to do anything that would cost us. When people start talking about this might cost you money, we bail out. When when we talk about this will cost you your time, when this will cost you your energy, when this will cost you discomfort and pain, we bail out. We falter and we stop and we hesitate when commitment is called for and we desire peace and calm. And how can we carry the same name that they carry when we're so civilized and so soft? Our goals are wrong. Our ambitions are misplaced. We want comfort. We want ease. We want quiet. We want calm. We want no pain. We want no stress. The only problem with that is Jesus never promised us that. In fact, he promised us just the opposite. He called us to just the opposite. He desires for just the opposite. He called us to be world changers. He caused us to make an impact. He caused and called us to be people of faith. 
the problem with it is that our softness leaves no need for faith because there's no room for risk. And therefore, the miracles that we see are in are tame in comparison to what those who were uncivilized witnessed. We see no water walking. We, know, we see no meals multiplied. We see no death turned into life. We see no sun stop. We see no change in our city. We see no supernatural healings because we're soft. J.B. Phillips said it like this. He said, perhaps if we believed what they believed, we would achieve what they achieved a powerful statement i think it's a true statement we have faith enough to pay the bills at church we have faith enough to paint a wall we have faith enough to put up a sign but we don't have faith enough to believe that this place and this body and this group of people and you as individuals can change an entire city we don't believe what they believe which leads me to direct questions tough questions i've been asking myself these questions all week and they are brutal but they're a part of the reality that we need to deal with this morning because of what jesus said when was the last time you were thrown to the wolves due to your faith when was the last time you were reviled when was the last time you were ridiculed when was the last time you were ostracized and rejected when was the last time that people thought you were crazy because of your connection to god when was the last time you took a chance on or for god jesus said it like this he said you will do more than i did did you know that jesus said that jesus said that as his followers we would accomplish more and do more than he ever did my question is are we even doing as much as he did i came this morning and i i've known all week this was going to be a tough message and i'm sorry no i'm not we're too soft we want our ears tickled. We want somebody to smile at us and tell us, you're okay and we're going we're gonna to be all right. Listen, you are okay because of the power of Christ in you and everything will be all right when we step out and do what God has called us to do. I didn't come to tickle your ears this morning. I came to challenge our quiet and peaceful way of living. See, you want a rocky revelation? Let me give you the final. I'm just going to give you one this morning. The final rocky revelation. It's not a fun one. But it's, the, it's probably the most pertinent one for us as believers at this stage of our existence. We're almost two years old. We have some decisions to make about whether we really do want to be passionate, whether we really do want to make an impact in our city. You have that same question to answer in your own personal life because you can hide out with other Christians and never impact anybody for the kingdom of God if you want to. But here's the rocky revelation that I want to draw to your attention this morning. Comfort usually doesn't lead to conquer. Comfort seldom ever leads to conquering. May I remind you this morning that the children of Israel left the desert to the promised land, not the other way around. And if we think that we've arrived in the promised land, either individually or corporately, you will never take the steps necessary to go out and to gain and take territory for Christ. Most of us never, once we go into the promised land, we will never go back to where it was hot again. Our goal should be this. this these are the goals. That I believe that Christ is calling us to individually. You need to get your edge back. You need to get, for, for the term that Apollo Creed uses with Rocky later in the movie, you need to get the eye of the tiger back. You need to get some faith about you again. These are the goals that God has called us to. He's called us to be dangerous. He's called us to attempt something so big that unless he intervenes, it will fail miserably. 
He's called us to do everything we can do to leave a mark, to make a ripple, to create change. That's what he's called us to do. I want to declare to you this morning that everywhere you go, not just at church, but into your workplace, into your neighborhood, into your relationships, everywhere we go, there are only two options for a sold-out, born-again believer that's really wanting to do something for God. They are that you should either be causing a riot or or a revival everywhere you go. Those are the only two options for you. We need to lose our civilized faith and get back to a violent faith where we actually believe and actually live like God can do anything. We need to come back to this place where we're willing to do anything that God says to do regardless of what it costs, regardless of the pain, regardless of the commitment, regardless of what it may end up costing us personally or corporately. We've got to come back to that place. We're called to that type of faith. Now, hear hear me carefully. What we normally do is we hear about that kind of faith and we reserve that kind of faith for young people. Well, they don't have rent to pay and they don't have any bills and they're naive and they've got all kinds of energy. So you guys go out and win the world and make a difference in your society. And what we'll do is we'll sit back and we'll try to do everything that we can do to retire in comfort. I am challenging at you this morning that we are not supposed to leave that kind of faith just for young people. That as adults, as mature believers supposedly, we are called to a violent, world-shaking faith said like this in Matthew chapter 11 verse 12 and from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force let me read it to you out of the message Bible and from the days of John the Baptist till now the kingdom of heaven is forcing its way in and men of force take it that means God is trying everything he can try to get the kingdom of God to arrive in Oklahoma City and in Yukon and in Mustang and in Midwest City and Dell City and more. And in the greater state of Oklahoma, he's doing everything that he can possibly do to try to force it in. And it is up to men, violent men of faith to take it and force it to come to pass. And Dillard said it like this. I want you to listen carefully. I think she hit it right on the head. She says, does anyone have the foggiest idea What sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does not one believe a word of it? The churches, that's us, we're part of that statement. The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear lady straw hats and velvet velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to the our pews for the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. I want to tell you this morning that safety seldom ever leads to the supernatural. Safety seldom ever leads to something special. We have declared from day one that as a body, we want to be different and we want to be special. We cannot be special if we try to play it safe. And I refuse to play it safe. We got to take some chances. You will never impact your world as an individual if you try to play it safe. Let me tell you this morning, I want to tell you some steps, three steps. And you're going to, when I say them, you're going to think, well, those are kind of cliche, Stephen. And that sounds, sounds like 
you know, I can listen to that and go home and do nothing. I am challenging you this morning. These three steps are very simple, but at the same time, they are extremely difficult. They are the recipe for gaining back our violent faith. I'm not going to play it for you, but I want to remind you what Rocky did after he was defeated. Apollo Creed comes to him and says, you got to go back and get the eye of the tiger. He went back into the slum. He went back into the ghetto and he picked up the old methods of training again and he trained himself and he got the edge back and he got the fire back and he faced his fears and he faced his anxieties and his worries. And when he came back, he was better than he was when he went in. And these three simple steps will cause you to go back and get uncivilized faith again if you will take them. Three things that help us to fight the comfort that leads to complacency. Number one, you do something you've never done before. I'm challenging you. Don't just tune me out right now. I am challenging you to do something you've never done before. For some of you, you've been Christians for so long and you've done so many things that that is going to be extremely difficult for you to put your finger on. But I am challenging you to do something you've never done before for God. That means take a chance. Go on a missions trip. Go to a homeless shelter. Talk to a stranger. That would be something different for some of you. Volunteer somewhere. That would be different for some of you. Get outside your comfort zone. Do something that everybody else thinks makes absolutely no sense. Try something for God. Stretch. Take a risk. Stop just a moment and think, what could I do that I've never done before? Think about that a moment. We've got... Individuals in our congregation that are taking huge risks. We heard about Jackie last week going to Peru for a year. That's a huge risk. James went to Africa and he's getting ready to go again to another location for an extended period of time. They're taking huge risks. You say, well, I can't leave everything I own and go on a mission trip. Well, I understand. But what in your area could you do that you've never done before? Listen, in order to have an impossible win... You have to face impossible odds. What in your life is impossible? What what have you faced lately that was absolutely, utterly impossible? I'm asking you to step out and say, God, I'm going to try this. And it looks absolutely ridiculous. And there's no way I should be able to pull this off. That's the perfect place for you to be. Listen, there's nothing worse than death from sameness. Some of you worship the same every week. Some of you pray the same every week. Some of you read the same scriptures every week at the same time every week. And sameness will kill you. So, I'm asking you a question. I want you to really struggle and battle this question this morning. How many of us are willing to kill for what we believe, but are unwilling to die for what we believe? Think about that a moment. Because most of us never place ourselves in a situation where death is even a possibility. And I'm not talking just about physical death. I'm talking about reputation death. I'm talking about friendship death. I'm talking about experience ridicule and becoming outcast in your work environment, your school environment, your community. When was the last time you risked that kind of death in your own life? Most of us never take that on. Take a risk. Quit playing it safe. The second thing, the second step is very simple, this. And I know this is going to sound cliche, but I want you to hear me. Give up something. Take the next 30 days of your life. Mark it on the calendar. It's, it's July the 26th. 
between now and August the 26th, I am asking you to take the next 30 days and give something up. You say, why? Because we've got to remind ourselves that following God costs us something. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not worth anything. My sister's not here, so I can embarrass her this morning and... Maybe she'll be here in second service. I've changed stories. I remember my first car. I threw paper route from the time I was 12 years old until I was old enough to drive. And I, would, and I got two paper routes because I needed the extra money because I wanted to buy a car. I saved up $500 and bought the most beautiful 1969 Nova. I'm exaggerating. It wasn't beautiful. It blew smoke out the back. My friends called me Mosquito Fogger because everywhere I went, there was huge plumes of smoke going out of the back. And I remember one day in my high school parking lot, I'm driving through the parking lot, and the steering wheel comes off in my hands. It was beautiful. I washed it. This is no exaggeration. I would wash it every week. My parents will attest to that fact. I mean, I dressed the inside up. I did all that kind of stupid stuff. I paid $500 of my hard-earned cash for that. In my parents' infinite wisdom, they decided to buy my sister's first car for her. I don't know how that changes. I don't understand that. But I think they took $500 and bought her. I don't even know what it was. It was ugly, but it was a car. Something different. I don't know if it's just personality. I'm firstborn. She's second. I don't know. I'm type A. I don't know what type she is. But, but all I know is you couldn't get in her car for all the trash and all the junk, and she never washed it. It was terrible. I think it's because it cost me $500. Hard-earned cash. That's true in your life. Somebody gives you something, $100 pair of tennis shoes, you'll walk through mud. But if you paid your own money for it, no way, man. I, I'm staying inside. It's raining today. Right? We've got to teach ourselves again and beat our bodies into subjection. We're told by Scripture to beat our bodies into subjection, teaching us and reminding us that following God should cost us something. If it's not costing you anything right now, my question is, are you really following? Listen, this walk is not for the weak and it's not for the faint of heart. It's not an easy walk. It's for tough-minded folks. So in order to accomplish great things, you have to be someone who can purposely go without. What could you give up for the next 30 days? TV? Man, I can never give up TV for 30 days. No way. Caffeine? No way, man. Are you serious? Maybe a certain kind of food. Chocolate? Are you serious? You want? Listen, I don't know what you need to give up. What you give up is not the important part of this equation. What is important is that you give something up to teach yourself that I can go without if I need to. We've got to show our stuff who, our, who the master is. Jamie Buckingham said it like this when he was talking about sacrifice. He said, to move into this realm of maturity calls for a total death to self. We get in the pulpits and all we want to talk about life, which we should, but there is a death side of Christianity too. And he says, this type of maturity calls for a total death to self. It means you are willing to be expendable. To give up all self-rights for the happiness of others. There's a novel concept. It means you submit yourself to the loving hand of God, much as a pawn submits to the chess master. In whatsoever square you choose to place me, there will I be content. So even if you are surrounded by knights and rooks and bishops who desire to destroy you, you will raise your hands in praise and say, Hallelujah, I'm expendable. I choose to give up my life for the glory of the king. Risky living, but in dying we find life. 
me ask you a question. When people look at you, do they think risk taker? Do they look at you and say, they're nuts? Are you, this is a powerful question. I want you to apply this to your life this morning. Are you living your life in a way that it is worth telling stories about? Because you do realize that we are supposed to make history. And the only way that you're included in history is if your life is lived in such a way, in such a manner, that people want to recall and retell your story. Or when they look at you, do they look at you like Mick look at Rocky and think that you're some washed up, protected, soft, civilized fighter? Do something you've never done. Give up something for 30 days. And finally, get out of ruts. Another story that Jamie Buckingham tells is this. He used to lead these groups of men to... Uh, explore Israel and they would take these expeditions out by Mount Sinai and on one particular trip he had 12 men with him and they were riding in this open four-wheel drive cart or truck across the desert and on their third day in this journey they're going across the desert and they're bouncing along in the ruts that had been left by other vehicles that had gone before them and they're just trudging along in those ruts when one of the men spots across a river a dry riverbed he spots on the side of a mountain on a steep mountain, he points it out. He sees an abandoned mine way up there. And he points it out to Jamie Buckingham. And Jamie, just in passing, said, you know what? There's probably bits of turquoise still in that mine because there's turquoise mines all through the region. And so the other men begin to clamor about, let's stop and let's go explore. And Jamie Buckingham gets the attention of the driver. And he stops. And they say, we want you to take us closer to the mountain. But the driver absolutely refuses. And he says, I will only stay in these ruts because... What he knew was this. He said, no, no way I'm going to go so close to the mountain because it's too dangerous. And he began to explain that during an earlier Sinai uh, campaign, the Israelis had placed landmines all through this dry riverbed because they knew that when the Egyptians who were attacking them were going to leave that area, their only way of escape was through this one particular riverbed. And so they placed all these landmines and they charted out the placement. The only problem was that they'd had one of those flash rainstorms that you can have in the desert and it had washed out the riverbed and it had moved all the landmines and nobody knew where they were. And so he says to them that experienced drivers know that the only safe place to stay is in the ruts. And he says this to them, he says, if you want to go, you will have to walk. Just walk lightly. Well, there's an encouraging piece of information. And then he says this, I'll be waiting if you get back. And so they gingerly walk across the riverbed and they climb the mountains and several hours later they come back and they're Pockets are full, completely full of turquoise nuggets. And I want you to hear what this driver said. This Israeli driver says this. He says, most pilgrims choose to stay in the safety of the ruts. Then he makes this statement. He, he reminds them that it was tradition that has kept the Jews alive for centuries. But then he says this with a smile on his face. But we don't have any turquoise either. And I wonder how many of us, because we're trapped in ruts in our life, live turquoise-less, that's not really a word, but I just made it up right there on the spot, turquoise-less lives. 
How many of us never get to have any adventure or never see anything that nobody else saw because we're trapped in ruts? What if, what, what if all that lies between you and victory and destiny and fulfillment is one small step of courage? Mark Batterson, a pastor in Washington, D.C., says this. He says, some of us approach our relationship with Christ like we're called to play prevent defense when we ought to be in a two-minute offense. Faithfulness has nothing to do with maintaining the status quo or holding the fort. It has everything to do with competing for the kingdom and storming the gates of hell. Get out of your ruts. Joe was born into a family of Sicilian immigrants. His family had a 300-year history as fishermen. That's what they did. Joe's father was a fisherman. His brothers were were fishermen. But there was only one problem. Joe, when he would get on a boat, would get seasick. So every time they would try to go out fishing and he would try to go with them to fulfill the history and the tradition of being in the family business, he would get sick in his stomach because of the rocking of boat, uh, rocking of the boat. And then to make matters worse, here's another problem. The smell of raw fish turned his stomach. So it was a double whammy. He couldn't stale, smell the, stand the smell of fish, and he couldn't stand the rocking of the boat. And so it seemed like that he was not going to be able to fulfill the family's business. But the family thought that the only acceptable form of income and the only way to earn a living was to be a fisherman. So in their eyes, Joe was an absolute, complete, and miserable failure. In fact, his dad would refer to Joe as his son that was good for nothing. Joe tried to fish, and he couldn't. And he tried to fish, and he couldn't. Until one day, Joe discovered that he was good at something else. He left this field of failure and he moved to a different field called baseball. And lo and behold, Joe DiMaggio was an incredible baseball player. In fact, he was one of the most successful and one of the greatest baseball players in history because he refused to settle in a field that didn't fit him. And I wonder how many of us settle for a field of ease and a field of comfort and a a field of just taking it easy and no risk and no try and no exploration and no adventure. And we settle for that and we settle for history and we settle for tradition and we settle for safety and we never accomplish God's purpose and plan for our life. We settle for the mundane. How many of you drive home the same way every day? I do. How many of you follow the same routine every day? I do, most times. How many of you go to the restaurant and eat the same thing every time? I do. Can I tell you that those things, as simple and as ridiculous as they are, reveal the fact that we're rutted. We fall into ruts, and if we are rutted, that means this, we are too civilized we're not willing to take any risks i did something on purpose the other day i had to go pick up towel from a friend i didn't tell julie i did this i went a different way i knew i was going to preach this so I, i it was out of the way but i found neighborhoods i'd never been in before get out of our ruts so how do we do that we dream big again 
Some of you have dreamed big in the past and you've lost your dream. I'm challenging you this morning to go back and dream big again. I am challenging you to take a risk. I'm challenging you to take, step out and try something. Start an outreach. Volunteer in a new ministry area. If you've always served in one particular area in every church that you've ever been in, if that's your gifted place, fine, stay there. But if it's not, try something new. Learn a new skill. Learn a new language. This one will get some. Read a big book. <laughs> Do something, even if it's a small thing that would indicate to us that what we are trying to do is break free from the ruts of our life. I'm reading a book right now that I do not enjoy. I tell you right now, most of the time, uh, I would have put it down after the first chapter and said, eh, I don't like it. Y'all ever do that? I'm making myself read this book because I believe it's going to stretch me and it's going to pull me out of a rut because I've got one or two authors I really like and if I'm not careful, I will only read what they say. And I need some other voices in my life. And some of you need to worship to a style of music you don't necessarily like. And some of you need to do an outreach that you don't, aren't necessarily comfortable in. And some of you need to talk to people that you're not necessarily comfortable talking to. Some of you sit in the same place every Sunday by the same people every Sunday. And I'm asking you to get out of your ruts. Because if you stay in a rut, you become soft. I came across a prayer that I want us to pray this morning. It's a dangerous prayer, but I think it's the prayer we should pray. And as uncomfortable as this rocky revelation is, I want to tell you again that comfort seldom ever leads you to conquer. And as long as you're on easy street, and as long as you're never taking a chance, and as long as you're never trying to do something for God that's so big that unless He intervenes it will fail, then you will never, ever conquer. And you will never, ever make history. I want you to stand with me and we're going to pray this together. I'm not going to ask you to repeat because it's three short paragraphs. But I want you to, in your spirit, as I pray this, again, I'm going to pray this for me. I'm going to pray it for our church. It's up to you to pray this for yourself. I just want to warn you, it is a dangerous prayer. And so, if you're man or woman enough, to ask God to pull you out of your ruts, and if you're man or woman enough to challenge God to stretch you, and if you're determined to do whatever it takes to accomplish something for God and to make history and cause a ripple, to cause a riot, to cause a revival, then as we pray this prayer, rather than just repeating it, I'm just going to ask you in your own way. You can do it out loud, you can do it quiet, just to say amen, because the word amen means so be it. Make it happen. So if you will, bow your heads with me this morning. Lord, I'm about to pray a very dangerous prayer. And I ask that you would stir up people that may have become soft, that may become, have become comfortable, who may be stuck in ruts. I'm praying that this prayer would invade their spirit and that you would raise up out of this body Violent men and women of faith. Violent in a good way. Those that would force the kingdom of God to come to pass. In Jesus' name. Here's the prayer. Disturb us, Lord. When we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true. 
because we have dreamed too little. When we arrive safely because we have sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push us into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Disturb us, Lord. Father, this morning I pray that you would disturb us. I pray anybody under the sound of my voice that has become comfortable and at ease and has begun to avoid strife and begun become to come to this place where they're avoiding pain and where they're avoiding discomfort and they've made up their minds. They've had the same conversation that I've had. Let me just be at ease. God, I pray that like an eagle stirs up her nest to push those little eaglets out of the nest in the comfort zone. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would disturb us. Shake us from our sleep. Shake us from our apathy. Shake us from our complacency. Let us see the place that we can take a chance. Put us out there on the edge where people will want to tell stories about us. Help us to get our edge back. Help us to get our faith back. Help us to be disturbed. Once again. God, that's my prayer. In Jesus' name. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 